You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er fam? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Ilbert J. Sanchez. Ilbert is a menswear designer and co-founder of Garcon Couture. He's also the embodiment of a 26er. During our conversation, we discussed how he found his sense of identity as a child coming to the States from Honduras. We also chatted about how he made the switch from a graphic designer to a fashion entrepreneur and the pivots that he's had to make along the way. Ilbert's story is a lesson and being open to new opportunities and maximizing potential. So without further ado, take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Ilbert, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. In the middle of Fashion Week, no less. Yeah. I'm really appreciative. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. So let's get into it. Tell me, who is Ilbert J. Sanchez? Ilbert J. Sanchez, the Jason Julius. Um, Ilbert J. Sanchez mm-hmm. is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. He is a Gadi from the man. He is a Honduran mogul, what they like to say, what I like to say. Someone who likes to inspire, um, leave a legacy here for not only for right now, but for the future. Um, he's a brother. He's a son. He's a cousin. He's a best friend. Um, he's a fraternity brother. Nice. Which fraternity? I know, but I'm going to put <laughs> the, the people. Cap Opportunity Incorporated. Awesome. So you packed a lot in there, which we're going to unpack over the interview. Um, but I want to start with your history and your family history, especially. Tell me what a Garifuna man is. A Garifuna man. Um, so Garifunas are actually um, Afro-Carib and Arab Indian. Mm-hmm. We're actually um, usually in in Guatemala, Honduras, Belize, Nicaragua. So you'll see us um, just the culture that we provide are just like none other. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our foods, our dances, the music, just like that culture is pretty strong when it comes to just our upbringings and our flag, yellow, white and black. So you usually see my flags somewhere posted. And just that just gives me an insight of like who my ancestors are and like just what keeps me strong and, and my inspiration day to day. Absolutely. So you're from Honduras. Yes, originally. I was born in Honduras. Yes, in the capital. So give me a little bit of your family history, um, how you made your family made the decision to come to the States, etc. Uh, I feel like coming to the States was one of those things where it was like a, a dream. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's still family now that they just want to come to the States. So they want to leave Honduras. Uh, being a third world country, there's things that they actually, you know, they're actually dealing with um, poverty. Mm hmm. Um, a corrupt government so there's things that they don't have the opportunities that we have the opportunities to actually um, take up on so um, I got here when I was about six or seven with my parents and my mother working multiple jobs my dad working multiple jobs and me at the time it was one of those things where we had to figure it out you know as being immigrants you know um, I remember just growing up and Bill Clinton was one of the presidents Mm -hmm. And he actually had a law for immigrants that helped us get our paperwork. You know, my mother getting her citizenship um, and my dad getting his citizenship. Me being a teenager, I remember that vividly, you know, taking the tests, helping them study. Me going to school with, you know, an accent, um, having bilingual classes. Right. You know, just a culture shock from the beginning. So that's why a lot of the things that I, 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 I think about now, like just how hard I work with my company. Just it reminds me of like my parents of how hard they work for us to get here and to actually like, you know, provide, you know, for the family. So listening to your story, you know, and and I will admit before we did research for this show, I didn't know what Garifuna was, Mm -hmm. right? So for you coming over as a a young 
young boy and figuring out how to integrate into American culture. How did you hold on to that? Right. So not just I'm from Honduras, but this very specific population of people that you come from. Was it your parents that encouraged you to to maintain ties? It was my parents, uh, my family back at home. Mm -hmm. My family here, you know, um, when it comes to my parents, they know that the music, you know, the drums, the food, um, just even our, our, our grandfathers and our grandmothers, mm-hmm. you know, them speaking the Garifuna language, them speaking Spanish. And then just looking at where they are, where they were before. And like just so many things. There's, I have so many people that are from Garif- that are Garifuna. Mm-hmm. They have their masters, their doctors, their lawyers, um, their athletes. So it's more so like a pride thing. Awesome. And... And some of the research that we did, there are questions about where this group of people actually originated from. And from St. Vincent. From St. Vincent. Okay. Yes. And is there is there a thought that they came actually, though, from West Africa first? Yes. Uh, they did come back from West Africa. Mm-hmm. And the Garifunas were actually originated from 1635. So it goes all the way back. Wow. Back to, back to that time. Yeah. So what, besides flying the flag, what are other things that you do now to really promote the culture? Well, we dance both I love that. You know, we dance towards the drums. So you get it you in. You know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, and there's a lot of um, African roots that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And that's like my that's like my scapegoat sometimes when I have like rough times. I usually, I just put on some punta music, mm-hmm. you know, or I'll go to like a, a garifuna restaurant and like eat some food. Um, you know, we have a lot of traditional dishes. Like oh, what? Um, I'm a foodie, so right, right. I'm just curious now. So first things first, we have like machuca, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like a, 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 it's like soup, right? You could put... And it's mashed. It's like mashed, um, mashed plantains, mm-hmm. and you could put like um, shrimp in it. You could put um, fish. A lot of seafood. It's a seafood type of uh, soup, but it, it that's one of those things that it just reminds me of back home. And sometimes the family will cook it on a Sunday and invite everyone over. You had me at mashed plantains. I was, I was already in there. I'm, I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah. Okay, so you get here, you know, to the States, six or seven years old. You don't speak the language, mm. um, but you're doing bilingual classes and. Your your learning. Did you ever feel pressure to fully integrate, like just to, to basically separate yourself or distance yourself from your culture? Yeah, a lot of times, mm-hmm. especially being um, raised in the Bronx. I'm sure. You know, so I usually growing up, I would face those. Oh, he's Spanish and he's black. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, I'm not Spanish, but I speak the language. But mm-hmm. I'm Hispanic, so those are things that I had to learn growing up, right? And me being of uh, you know dark skin. You know, Darcy kid in the Bronx, it was like, okay, he's a black boy. He's a black boy that doesn't speak English. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll be confused at, you know, what 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 am I really, you know? And how did your parents address those issues with you, if they did at all? I feel like my parents worked so hard that they would just be like, just um, come home and just, you know, just take care of your schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So it was like my mother would be like, make sure you're doing your schoolwork. Let me see those grades. Which is, I think, the story of a lot of children of immigrant parents. Right, like, right. we're here to succeed. Don't worry about all this other stuff going on. We're working hard to keep a roof over, the, roof over your head and build a life here. You take care of the education. It's kind of interesting comparing it to like when I was younger mm-hmm. and now how a lot of things that our parents say makes so much sense. Right. So like, oh, stay away from, you know, this person. Watch out, you know, the influence that you're around. Yeah. I don't know if you feel this, but like I'm starting to feel like an old head a little bit. Like I was <laughs> I've been considered an old head a long time ago when I found out movies came out 20 years ago that 
I remember watching the movie theaters. Exactly. But I um, recently was talking to someone who's just starting her career and was coming to me for advice, which is just tripping me out that people now, you know, I'm at the age where they start to see me as a mentor. But when your parents' messages like start to replay in your own mind Mm -hmm. or you're giving them to other people, you have that moment where you're like, I'm not that young anymore. (laughs) I don't consider us old. But when you talk to someone who was born in like 1996, you know, or 1997, it's like... You remember writing those those that date exactly. on the paper. Exactly. Right? Like, like, like I was, you know, we were watching Living Single and, and right. Living Color, mm-hmm. you know, back then. So, um, but you realize how valuable those lessons are that your parents gave you, you know, back then. You know, at that time, it's like, okay, just stop talking. But I, I think about just who I am as a person and those seeds that were sown by, you know, my family cared about me and, and how I, I can replay those messages now and how on the tough days when nothing is going right, that's the strength that I draw from, wow. for sure. That's deep. Yeah. So, okay. So you integrate in your in your own way into American culture while also also retaining your culture from back home. When did you get to the point where you're like, this is what I want to do for a living? And what was that thing that you thought you wanted to do? So growing up, everybody would be like, oh, um, be a teacher, be a doctor mm-hmm. or be a lawyer. That was like the only thing. But growing up, I wanted to do something in, 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 that was creative. And um, for a long time, my 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 dad wanted me to be, he wanted me to be, be a cop. And, you know, I would go to like the, the cop programs for years. And it just deep down inside, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to be a cop. This isn't for me. I don't even like following rules. <laughs> You're definitely gonna, not going to I'm always going to be like a rebel type person. So uh, going to art school, that was like one of those things that just escalated like my drive for creativity you know just being a graphic design major and it's understanding how to design and like just understanding ty- typography and the colors and just the visuals of things mm-hmm. that's what dr- drove me and I actually felt I fell in love with fashion when I got into FIT so what did your parents have to say when you were like yeah I'm into graphic design well that's the number one thing uh, for everyone listening out there I think support is like one of the biggest biggest factors that pushed me mm-hmm. to where I am right now and they supported me throughout the entire ordeal no matter what it was it was like as long as you're happy and you're doing what you have to do and like not half asking something like just going 100% which I mean is a testament to your parents because now I think we're in a day and age where you know digital is king startups are the thing and people know you can come up with an idea and create a billion dollar business when we think back to then it wasn't so widespread like being into design and all these creatives feels were not it's not it wasn't as sexy you know and especially for our parents they didn't really get it so I think it's a testament to your parents that back then they said no if this is what you want to do do it and just do it to the best of your ability and I think an important message too is for people listening that even if your parents are not that find your village who will support you because that you, you need those people who are like, you know what? You can do this. Give it a, give it 110. You can do it. But you were blessed in that your <laughs> parents you. were those people. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to them. Thanks OK, them. so how did you get from I'm going to go to school for graphic design to I'm going to go to FIT and I want to get involved in fashion? Uh, just doing a lot of like shirt designs, you know, understanding like the, crea- the creative suite, which is Photoshop, Illustrator and design, mm-hmm. you know, Flash, After Effects. It's understanding the crafts with that. I was like, I can't do it was I'm like digital not enough for me I need to do something that's gonna pop mm-hmm. that's gonna um be more fundamental and that's when I fell in love with like the fabrics understanding bro- you know um, brocades and jacquards and the silks and just getting um, a feel of who are these like fashion designers and what is it things that are, that are gonna pop so at the time I would like 
read books like from Mark Echo, you know, Damon John with FUBU, mm-hmm. uh, the Tommy Hill figures and just understanding the things that, that they did. And they all didn't start with just fashion. So I, I started with street with streetwear, like doing T-shirts. I'm like, let me just do, let me just jump into it. I had no idea how to start a, a shirt line. I'm like, just let me jump into it. You know, nowadays we have Google. I remember younger, we didn't have Google. Right. I would Google everything and YouTube stuff. I'm like, let, let me find how to do this press machine. Let me, let me find out how to do this. So with streetwear, um, you know, with the hats, I saw that um, I had my hat on TV. I had like a few celebrities wearing my hats. Um, but and deep down inside, I'm like, this is not it. It has to be more than that. And, I, it, and I'm big on like mediocrity and I feel like it was mediocre what I was doing. But I'm like, okay, this is a start. How can I dig deeper and how can I push my limits? And I always would be wearing like suits and ties and shirts. It just didn't match up with who I was, the brand that I was promoting and I was designing for. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not working. But I took all of those experiences and put it into Garçon Couture. And that's why the the story or like the dream aligns so well because of what I've learned in the past. Okay, so I want to dig deeper into some of the things that you you said. What what was your day job when you started getting into streetwear? Graphic designing. I was graphic designer. I was designer for ESPN. I was a lead designer for Vibe Magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, I was at Scholastic. I was at um, a whole bunch of design companies just designing. I was a freelance designer. But names people would recognize, right? And were you making good money? I was making great. Yeah, I was definitely making good. Okay, money. so you're making great money, um, working for all these well-known, you know, brands that a lot of people killed work for, and decide, okay, I'm gonna start the streetwear line. So, were you designing the the hats and the shirts and sending them somewhere else to be manufactured, or were you doing all that? So, and at the time, I was still, I was, I was designing from. I had a nine to five, and mm-hmm. I was designing five to nine. So I was mm-hmm. that. So, and at the time, I was actually doing. For clo- I was uh, I was working for J.P. Morgan doing like foreclosure stuff. That that was just helping me pay bills. Wait, hold up. Yeah, because that that's a, that's yeah. a out of left field moment. Yeah, I had to pay bills, and J.P. Morgan was hiring everyone. They was hiring everyone. I'm like, I need to get this job. Was and this around like 08, 07, somewhere yeah, in there? Yeah, they called it Chase University. Yeah, I, I remember that that foreclosure season. Yeah, um, so yeah. so a little bit after that's when they started hiring so many people. Mm-hmm. But I I use that downtime. I called it downtime because I wasn't designing as much to work on 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 the shirt line. Got it. Okay, so, so you were working as a graphic designer designer freelance just as things mm-hmm. came in so you weren't like in a fixed office where you had no. to be there every day okay so, so then after that then I, I went into vibe magazine got it okay yeah. so you're working freelance now i know this about jp morgan because a little known black history fact about me is that i was a volunteer for foreclosure defense attorney during the great recession when everybody was losing their homes um so it, it was a factory like everybody was touching you know foreclosure in, in some way so what kind of work were you doing for JP Morgan this foreclosure stuff I was like doing fi- mortgage, filings mortgage, and stuff like that mortgage banking I was just like when they would come to have like these applications mm-hmm. I would review them and like just see if it's valid enough to get to the next stage um, it was just like so many levels of like foreclosure stuff that I'm like this has nothing to do with what I want to do like loan modification I was really I was really, I was there just to collect the check oh I, a lot of people were because there I was so that. much work yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay so you had that and that became like a day job that you had to go into, I yeah. presume. Okay. And then you're working on the, on this, the, on the, the clothes. On the clothes. Mm-hmm. So, so ha- go ahead. That, um, and this is what, I, what I've learned. Um, don't take no shortcuts. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no shortcuts in life. Any successor, like don't, you cannot expect one day to start a company and then next week your company is booming. Mm-hmm. So, what I thought was I'll be able to take shortcuts in, in this fashion world. So there was this call, this website where you can actually just, just do your design and then put it on a shirt and then they'll deliver it to whoever ordered mm-hmm. the shirt. So I built a website and I used that website where anyone can click it and then the shirt goes sent straight, straight to them. One, the quality was horrible. And then two, uh, the company get like 85% of, of those. 85%? Yeah, so it just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense at all. 
So I would be like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. And then it looks bad on the brand. So I was like, let's take a step back and let's find out um, where I can get a, sc- a screen printing company and then where I can get the shirts from. So the shirts got man. I would get the shirts manufactured, for, um, and then I would get the shirts and send them to the print to the print spot in Queens. I would go there and just make orders. I was make shirts at twenty four on um, twenty four at time, forty eight at time. At time. Mm-hmm. And then they, they will sell out. Then I started making hats and the hats started selling out, you know, and then had some celebrities wearing them. So how did you find your, your customers in, in those early days? How did I find my customers? I would I would just word of mouth. Mm-hmm. This is when Instagram first started. So I would use Instagram um, and a lot of this is my friends, my fraternity brothers, friends, family, even finding capital, friends, family, fraternity brothers, just just using all of your sources and like not being afraid to ask for support. So what was your pitch going out to friends, family for capital since you, you brought that up to saying this is what I'm trying to do. I have this streetwear line. Uh, I have a proposition for you. How did you pitch them? Well, they know I have good judgment. So mm-hmm. I will never come to them with a bad idea. And if it was a bad idea, I would convince them to be like, no, this is why this is a good idea. So before even asking them, I would be like A, B, C, and D. This is why this is great. So did you have numbers for them where you're like, if you put in X amount, you can get out this amount? I had and... numbers for a few people. Okay. And some people, they just donated. It was like... They just yeah. sewed into what you were trying to do. Yeah. And what was the name of this streetwear line? It was IJ Apparel. <laughs> IJ Apparel. Got it. <laughs> it was IJ Apparel. You oh my God. a ton God. of thought into that, right? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I designed the logo like within like within like five minutes. And what kind, what kind of stuff was on the shirts and um, the hats? Oh, I had some... It had like... The shirts had very swag on it, but... It had like different colors, but it was at the time it was it was cool. I was like, oh, this is good. People would buy them. I never had stuff left. Everybody was like, would purchase them. And which celebs were wearing um, this apparel? I have to know. <laughs> so Charlamagne wore it on. He wore it on the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. He he had my dreams hat. Okay. And we had it on uh, Dawn Richards mm-hmm. at the time. Danny Kane. They were they were good. So she had, she had my sweater on. I had a sweater. It was called the Persian Lion, and I had a shoot in London for that as well. But who else? I had Mac Wilds wearing my hat as well. And how were you connecting with these people? Just friends. Friends. I mean, just your yeah. network. Yeah, just friends. Got it. Okay. So when was the moment when you were like, "This is cool. We're selling out, but it doesn't reflect my personal brand and who I am." Because when people started asking me to make more stuff, I didn't. The drive wasn't in. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to make more of this stuff. So I paused it, and I was like, in order for for my brand to actually um to boom, and when I say my brand, just my vision, I would ha- I ha- I had to stop and like really think about it. So that's when I started styling, um, just styling, like just going out and just dressing men for anything, for birthdays, for for weddings, um, TV casters, like just anything. If, if I could, I could put a suit together and I'll tell them, you know, what sort of go to, you know, even online, online, like styling as well. So had you finished FIT at this point? I was still at FIT. Still at FIT, mm-hmm. but pitching yourself as a stylist. Mm-hmm. And were you the person that was literally pulling stuff together? Like yeah, going was, to yeah, stores, pulling everything. stuff off it's, the showroom? I, I was providing that. And the fact that I know how to brand, mm-hmm. marketing, designing, I just, I made it seem, I just, I just painted the picture so, so amazing to them, but they was like, they couldn't say no. So I had a few like designing clients. Now this was shortly after I graduated also when okay. things started kicking and I was like, I need to cut the middleman. All right. So you cut the middleman. Mm-hmm. You're doing styling and you're pitching people for paid stylist services? Yeah. Because yeah. I know what stylists cost in yeah, New York. People will so. ask me, oh, um, you know, how, how should I wear this? How should I wear that? And I would give them a price like, this is my fee and I could take care, you know, and I can even go to your closet and like fix, fix this up, fix that up. And people were buying into it. Yeah. And I mean, this is impressive. You know, you may listen to this and be like, of course they were. But I know so many people who are good at what they do and they pitch someone and say, listen, I I have this talent and I want to offer you my service. And people are like, that's dope. But then when the person's like, here are my fees, then all of a sudden it's. Oh, don't get it twisted. A lot of people said no. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people said no, but the next person is going to say yes. It's going to be a hundred people to say no. One person is going to say yes, and then that next person is going to tell them about how good you did your services. So no does not intimidate me. Mm-hmm. Failing does not intimidate me as well. Like I've just learned from the no's and like the quote unquote fails, as we may say. And you were still doing other things to pay your bills as well. I have to. Yeah, got, right. we got bills. Yeah. So I, there are some important lessons here that I just want to highlight before we move on. First and foremost, you were good at what you, you did, obviously. Mm-hmm. You were in school for it, going to FIT, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, Obviously had great salesmanship, but it doesn't mean that you said, this is what I'm doing and I'm about to leave this job that keeps the lights on. And I think that's important just because your talent is there. And even if the network is there, and even if you've gotten people to invest in what you're doing, it doesn't mean that you necessarily should jump out of the window and pull the parachute right away. You might need to continue. And there's nothing wrong with that to do something else. You might be tired, but there's nothing wrong with that. So that to me is an important lesson. Another thing that you said that I, I want to highlight is the ability to just keep selling yourself. So even if a lot of people are like, nope, not interested, finding someone else. And it's something that I talk about a lot. If it's not that person, it's going to be somebody else. And what happens, I think, a lot of the times is we, we get so gassed up on our talents and what we want to make happen that we're like, I'm passionate about this, so everyone else is going to be too. And the minute you hear a no or two no's, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. uh Maybe this is not what I'm meant to be doing. It absolutely may be what you're meant to be doing. It doesn't mean that the door is going to bust wide open for you immediately. The last thing, the last lesson that I got from what you've you've spoken about so far is your ability to pivot. You started on one path, which was streetwear, which was doing well. And then you decided, okay, this is not what I want to do. And you were able to pivot that first. You had an interest in, you know, menswear and suits and all that great stuff. But you didn't jump right into your current company, which we're going to talk about. But you took that. That middle step, which was styling others as well. And I, I think it's important to highlight that because often we think that we have to start at the destination. We have to have it all right. figured out. But there are chapters and there are mile markers on the journey that not only are important for our experience, but give us lessons that we can take and tools that we can take along the way. So when we do get to that thing that we want to build out and make a multi-million dollar company, you can pull back from the street where those, a lot of those lessons are, tra- are transferable. A lot of the things that you've learned. And I, I feel like you've done that very well. So you're doing the styling. That's growing. How did you go from there to what you have now? Garcon Couture. So I, I struggled for like with those years. Mm hmm. After graduating and then like five, four to five years in between art and fashion, like graphic design okay. and fashion, like which one am I going to choose? Because I was doing well in my graphic. Like when I was when I had graphic design jobs, like my career was like this. It was getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And I was like, am I like, what is God telling me to do? Like, what am I? And I would read like the book, like The Alchemist, just finding a true legend and just understanding like what you were like, where you would like, what are you on this planet for? Mm-hmm. You know, and just like just trying to understand the signs and like just embracing every step of the way mm-hmm. and the entire time under my nose my business partner was right there I feel like that was like the key element of like just having having a relationship with um, with Gene we was college roommates because I went to SUNY Cobble School before FIT mm-hmm. and we've always been cool and close and he was he was doing fashion and, and I, I would see it from a distance but we never spoke about it and then he would ask me like about oh how do I charge my clients with styling and I would give him I'm like this is I'll show him my styling fees all that stuff and he had because he started Garcia Couture um, so he had started it already. he started it mm-hmm. yeah he started it already and me I'm like I have, I have to cut the middleman and I need this black dollar to get stronger and right just as a culture right so I'm like how can we get stronger and then, and it's just from, from, to benefit everyone right I would send my clients to I'm not going to name the stores but I'll send my clients to all these places and it's like this is not going to help the culture and they're dropping serious money on quality right, clothing serious. Right. So I'm like, I need to cut the middleman and make this stuff myself. And he had 
um, these key elements that I was missing and I had key elements that he was missing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I picked the phone. I'm like, why don't we just collaborate? It makes so much sense. We could be like these Caribbean Avengers because he's Haitian. Oh, boy. You know, so um, we know that work ethic is crazy between the two of you for sure. Exactly. And that's the thing that I feel like that's like one of the, the core elements that that drives the company. It's like our work ethics. Right. And it's our culture. Like we have respect for each other. And like, you know, we both come from these strong backgrounds where it's like we have to keep on pushing. Mm-hmm. You know, so and us understanding each other. I lived with this guy, you know, when I was so young, and I'm like, yo, let's just, now we adults, let's get to work, let's get to it. So you go to him and you're like, forget just looking at my price list. I was like, yeah, right, no, no, because I said look at the price, and then mm-hmm. it hit me like six months later, like I had an epiphany. I'm like, nah, we got it. I got to do something. So I called. I'm like, yo, let's do this. Let's really do this. Let's brand. Let's do this website. Everything. And we was like, all right, let's do. It. So they start on this day, and then we launched it um the 20, November 2016, oh, Black Friday. So was he making money already in Garcon Couture? Was it like still in sort of beta? It, it was like it was it, he it was it was like beta. He was like still testing it, just mm-hmm. understanding like the manufacturers just going through it. It was like yo, let's just let's just dive deeper into this. Let's dive deeper into it. Okay, and so he has like ten. He has like ten years of fashion experience. Like he's when it comes to like fashion, like he's the guru at that. And I was like, all right, let's 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 do it. So you come with some marketing, you mm-hmm. know, design experience, right. business stuff as well. He's got the pure, the fashion, you know, yeah. fashion, right. et cetera. You come together and you're like, we're going to launch on Black Friday. What did that launch look like? How big was the line? How did it happen? So to me at the time, I wasn't too, um, I wasn't privy to what the suits can do. Mm-hmm. Right? So we had accessories. We had like lapel pins. We had ties, pocket squares. The website was up. Boom. People started purchasing, you know, little, little ties here. At the, at the time, we wanted to do like a little package type of thing where people get like a tie and a pelt pen all at one time that's how we was thinking and yeah that's, that's really how it started just like accessories but we all we had the books here these books are come from our manufacturers so if you come in for a cons- consultation open up the books and you get a suit and all that so so at that point we are I didn't mention that we are recording in your New York showroom here but you didn't have that space nope yet right so this was just sort of all a virtual situation yeah it okay was all, and while he's in living in Miami so he's in Miami. And I'm in New York. And you're here. we're speaking every day. Just making it happen. And are you still in your day job at this point? No. At this point when we launch? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So you still got yeah. the day job. You launch with accessories, right? And that's sort of happening. It's, it's ramping up there. Cool. And I remember when like the lapel pin thing mm-hmm. really took off. Yeah. And honestly, as an outsider, as a layperson, I didn't. I was like, people are really selling lapel pins for like $60. Like, what is going on here? But people, you know, men were buying them. We would see them out, especially in New York on the brunch scene and what have you. All right. So you get money that way. You had, you were into the suits at that point, but that's not what you, what you were pushing. Mm-hmm. When did the switch happen? I, I caught an epiphany. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of epiphanies over, over the years. Yeah. And I embraced them. Mm-hmm. I remember everything. So, and I'm big on just looking at signs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we miss signs and those little signs could be the pivotal moment to a life-changing experience, right? So, um, we decided to do a pop-up shop at one of my boys' house, a boys' apartments in Harlem. And this was in Harlem. And we was like, you know what? Let's do the first pop-up shop. And we did the pop-up shop. It went well. But he, like, rushed us out there. He's going to hate me for this. It's all good. <laughs> we keep it real. He rushed us out the apartment. And it was it just felt like, yo, got kicked. It was an uncomfortable feeling. I'm like, how are you going to kick us out? <laughs> you know, the time, whatever time we agreed to, he just kicked us out before that. And he was, like, rushing it. I just, It was so uncomfortable. I did not like that. Mm-hmm. And then I went home. And it was a good pop-up shop. I went home. And I, I, dream, I dreamed about a war 
a door, a wooden door with our logo on it that said Garcia Couture, Exodus in every thread on the wooden door. That's when I woke up, that's the first thing I thought of. I called him. I'm like, Gilly, we need to um get a showroom in Manhattan as soon as possible. As soon as possible. He was like, We're well, what money? I said, <laughs> with me, I said we're gonna make it work, don't worry about it. He said, he trusts me. He's like, All right, let's do it, man. Let's do it. That day I went looking. That entire week I went looking for the showrooms. Just I wa- I walked in the first place I walked to, into was WeWork. We were I know they we were like they wanted like sixteen hundred for a little uh, like a, a one person office. I'm like, I'm not paying for this. This is crazy. You know what's so crazy? Sidebar there. So I was, that's where my first startup office was. But I got into WeWork at Empire State uh, Building when it was like just becoming a thing. When people tell me these rates for WeWork, I got a one person office, I think for 600 bucks. It was before they like really got popular and the rates were crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I digress. So $1,600 for a one person office. That sounds about right for right now. Yeah. It's funny because I forgot to mention this is shortly before I quit my job. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like one of us. We one of us has to quit our job in order for this to actually boom. Because um, I just couldn't do the nine to five and then five to nine anymore. I'm like I've done it too much. It's exhausting. And I took a lot of um, what I've learned from IJ Apparel into Costa Couture. I'm like if I do this 100 percent and I find somewhere where I can lease monthly, let's let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. If not, I can always go back to designing. I still have the skill, you know. So I found this place, 211 East 43rd Street, Suite 718. Book your apartment. <laughs> GarcelCouture.com. Shameless plug. <laughs> Got to get it in. So. Um, the first office was downstairs, Suite 635. We moved in May 15th, 2017. Nervous? Yes. Anxious? Yes. But I was ready to go for it all. Now, did you have a financial plan? Like, okay, I know we have enough uh, income right now or revenue right now that we can cover the rent. Like, did you have that all figured out or were you just no, literally moving said, blindly? He, the first thing he said was, how are we going to pay for this? So you don't have the... We didn't have we didn't have the income for that. So we just called calling friends. So you went back to your I friend circle. the three friends that, that helped us pay for the, for, um, the first month because it was first month deposit and like last in Grand Central for office in Grand Central and we know Grand Central is not yeah. cheap and it was a learning curve because I, I'm like alright we gotta sell these suits I, at the time I probably sold about four suits I'm like we gotta sell these suits and he's in Miami mm-hmm. so it's difficult so I'm like it's gonna be a learning curve but let's do it yeah I got I got the money um, within like probably like two or three days I got the money and it's because friends trust me you know true so I got the money. I was able to pay that. And then from there, it was like, let's let's just start going one one thing at a time, just learning. It was a big adjustment from like the first six months. So you're now in this full time, right? Yeah, well, quit, at that moment, you, I quit you quit. In March. Then we had a pop shop in April and then um, moved in May 15th. Now, did you have a personal nest egg to cover your own bills? Um, so I just took sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my savings, but then I just stopped going to brunch. I stopped going to friends events. I said no to a lot of people. And I was just like, let me just focus on this. And this, I'm glad you brought that up because I think sometimes we get caught up in like appearances mm-hmm. or not wanting to say no or appear. We don't want to appear as if we don't have the money and can't afford to do those things. Right. But the reality of it is when you're investing in a vision, your lifestyle, unless you just have unlimited resources, your lifestyle is going to have to change and you have to be willing to miss out on things and not care what people think. I think especially in New York, there's this culture. Um, I'll say on the coasts, there's this culture of making it seem like you have it all together and you have all these unlimited resources that every time somebody invites you to a boozy brunch or this concert or this exclusive event that you have to show up and you have to have the appearance of success. And that money may even be there. You may have it, but it needs to be reallocated. And one of the things that I always say, like if you want to build a successful brand in anything, you have to put ego aside. Yes. And it's hard. You, you have to have the confidence without the ego. That That's really the magic com- combination because there's going to come a day when someone's going to say, come and go to the Dominican Republic with me 
or you know we're having this brunch come to this and you have to be like well no because I have this office rent or I have to pay a web developer or my distributor is asking for his payment Um, and that's part of it and this is why I am a huge proponent of people finding what they're passionate about because an interest or the chance of profitability for most of us will not sustain you. When it comes time to start making those sacrifices, if it's not something that you're really passionate about, after a while, it's like, why am I really doing this? You have to have that. You have to have that drive. So you got some money from, you know, friends and family. You have your savings. You now have this. this They all got paid back, too. See, and that, that's an important thing to mention because a lot of, you know, startups who collected a lot of money raised, you know, you talk about series A, B around hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, who fold mm-hmm. and crash and burn. A lot of people go into investments knowing that they may not get the money back. So people who invested in you mm-hmm. got their money back, which right. is a testament to you as well. Um, so you get the showroom. You're now in this full time. Now it's time to start hustling to get mm-hmm. these suits sold. How did you build that population of clientele? Was it, again, just word of mouth using just- Instagram? We're, we've done all word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So every month, our revenue double. Every month? Yeah, from um, May until November because we moved into the big office November 1st. Mm-hmm. That's why we moved. We had to, it was like, okay, something is clicking. And we have our our, um, our chief brand officer, Rebecca. She's actually like um, the guru of our branding. Mm-hmm. So anything that has to do with um, strategy, that's her. So a lot of it comes into play with her. And then we can discuss like team, like how the team of who was important and, and how we move units because I didn't do it alone. We can't do anything alone here. So it was bigger than just me and Gilly. So Rebecca, she was uh, definitely like a strong unit when it came to the, the word of mouth, mm-hmm. you know, and also like us is delivering a product and just learning. And like just I we me building the structure and like just learning what to do and what not to do, you know, what can actually help the company get to the next level. So I do want to break down who got involved to help you guys pull this off. But before we go there, you have these suits. Who was your target demographic? Because I know, mm-hmm. you know, what a bespoke, like, custom suit can cost. Right. And it's a certain kind of person who can afford that. So going into it, were you immediately like, we're going for cream of the crop, certain kind of man who makes a certain amount of money, has a certain amount of prestige? Right. So for us, it was like just young professionals. Okay. Um, you know, we're young professionals. I'm like, why don't we just cater to people like us? Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to just deliver a product that you can't just walk into the store and get. We wanted to get something that's going to be out of the ordinary, but you can still decipher whether or not you want to wear a conservative suit or a decorative dinner dinner jacket. Mm-hmm. You know, and we wanted to just bring that excellence when you're wearing it and like just enhance who you are as a person or like whatever it is. Like we want to get that effect that, wow, what is he wearing? Who is that? Every time you walk into the room. So what was the price point for, for these suits early on? Oh, the suits when we started, they were 450 Which for a suit is... Um, it was a, that's a, reasonable. A, a suit 140 suit, yeah, it was 450 when we started. Yeah, 450. I know it's not that now. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by the look on yeah. your face. Yeah. Okay, so 450, which for a young professional, yeah, you know, you can make that happen. And then not including tailoring, also. Mm-hmm. So and then you know our overhead wasn't that much at the time. Got it. So got the office with some investment um, or, or loans from people that you knew. But if you didn't have the money for rent, you clearly didn't have the money to pay a team. Right. So how are you yeah. getting people to rally around you? You have to know how to. Um, first of all, they know people know that I, I work hard. Mm-hmm. They know Gilly works hard. And then if you're telling a story and like they believe in your dream, they're going to stick right by you. If you have little anything that can actually like clutch the company are things that you needed to work on. Mm-hmm. So if there was anything we needed to work on, we worked on it. But then we continue and we communicate. 
communicated. So it's a lot of com- um, transparency, communication, integrity, and just building timelines of things, set goals, you know. And if you believe in a dream, just you'll, you'll, you'll stick it out. Absolutely. And it's also just finding the right people. Oh, so Rebecca, she was the chief brand officer for IGA Pearl also. So we go way back. <laughs> so she was she was in the streetwear, uh, the brand officer yeah, in the streetwear was, phase. Yeah. The first person I called after me and Gilly um, made it official with the company, I called her. I was like, I got somebody who can help me. I called her, sat down with her. I'm like, this is what I want to do. She said, I'm down. Okay. So you build out this team. You're growing the business. Your revenue was du- doubling every month. Did you feel there were unique challenges that you faced as a company run by people of color? Definitely. Like, yeah. What? Um, we're we're the underdogs, mm-hmm. um, and then me being the only black um, business owner in this building on Grand Central in the building. Yeah. So at the time, yeah, they was looking at me like, "Who's this kid? Who's this young kid? Always dressed. What is he doing?" Mm-hmm. You know. So and like just understanding like how to come into the into into this, this sector of like fashion in Grand Central area. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I had to learn more of like just digging deep, digging deeper into the marketing, the marketing aspects of that. And like just asking like my older frat brothers, OK, like which way should I pitch this client or like, you know, how can I provide um, this wedding package for that client? You know, so it's just and I, I feel like I've been blessed to have a lot of people who I can pick up the phone and call and I like, just ask for advice. So has the growth been consistent since you guys opened doors here at the showroom or has it been an up and down Process. It has been it's been consistent, but there's up and downs as far as things that we learned. Mm-hmm. You know, things is things that we just learning, and as we're getting bigger, there's things that we have to like take into account as the company is getting bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, so you now have two showrooms. Yes, we launched the second showroom in our first anniversary for this one. So May fifteenth, twenty. Uh, 2018, we launched our Miami showroom, Miami Gardens. Awesome. So two locations. You are now dressing celebrities as well. So you, even though you moved from streetwear street to um, sort of high-end menswear, who are some of the celebrities that you're dressing now? I feel like the first one was that hit the mark for us was um, Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. So he got, um, he wore our stuff for the GQ Awards in London and then he wore our stuff for the Emmys. And um, yeah, he had our purple, beautiful jacket. I remember that jacket. I did yeah, see and it. People were blowing up my phone because it was on TV and he was standing next to all his castmates and they was wearing like Prada, Gucci, and he got the best dress. And then it was like, what are you wearing? And then he was like, Garcon Couture. And at that moment, I was like, this is why I do this. Mm-hmm. So how did you land that client? Um, my good boy, um, D-Leak, he's, he, he does bow ties at D-Leak Bow Ties. He actually was styling him for, at the moment. So he was like, oh, I have someone who can, you know, customize his suit for you. And he, he, brought, he brought us on. So and I thank him for that because that was like a very um, moment that actually took us to the next level where people were like, oh, they're not playing games. Right. So one of the consistent threads through your story as I'm listening is your network. You know, I have a friend in this. I knew this person. They hooked me up. There are going to be people who listen to this and say, well, if I was in New York and I knew all those people, I can make something pop too. What do you say to the person who has an idea or a talent but doesn't necessarily have the Rolodex um, yet to be able to just pick up the phone and make those connections? It's really about um, just building relationships. Mm-hmm. Like building genuine relationships. A lot of times we're in this world where everyone is an opportunist True. and wants um, this to get that. But I build relationships with people you know um, build friendships with them and and just reaching out to them with social media you can actually DM someone true right away that's how I've got a lot of my clients also like I would DM them or I'll speak to them in person and ask them what I'm providing tell them what I'm providing and I'm like who can I speak to on your team to get this to get this started so even if I didn't know anyone I would be sending messages and just trying to get to that you know and just making 
calling things into existence, you know. Awesome. So you've talked a lot about um, the epiphanies that you've had and how, you know, your salesmanship and your ability to pivot and really growing this company with uh, some amazing features, you know, that you, you've had. Tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hmm. That's a good question. About a time I had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. An ordinary day wouldn't be a uh, fashion week, would it? It could be whatever yeah. you want it to be. Because <laughs> you are in fashion, so an ordinary right. day for you is fashion week. Right, right. Um, so during fall fashion week, well, it was September. We actually had a big... Um, it was like a we had a live pop up shop, mm-hmm. a photo shoot. So we we shot in um, Grand Central, Times Square, Madison Park, Columbus Circle, and then we also had like a we had like a like a show a showing at a rooftop at the end. But we had a van, we had a van person, and I guess he was didn't know the routes. And it was we were on, on like on strict time because we told all of our followers like catches there, catches here, catches there, and the van. Um, person he just was lost and I was with my entire team I think I had a staff of like 17 and I had like about 12 models so just understanding like that pressure where we had to go and get to time just make sure that we at certain places when we have a videographer waiting for us and photographer waiting for us and then the, the van guy just just didn't get the, the Columbus Circle getting from Columbus Circle to um, 42nd it was like impossible for him to understand and us finding him so it was more, more one of those times where I had to act you know be cool and be calm and I have footage of that also and just relate to my team like what's happening and what's going on and just improvising right uh, and then we still was had we still had models coming on the way as well so just understanding how to actually run a team and how to how to um project manage mm-hmm. understanding like you know just update your team and let them know that it's going to be okay even if it's not okay in the back of your head right let them know like hey guys this is what's happening but we'll be there shortly let us know if you need anything we'll send over some water some juices or if anybody's hungry let us know just you know because everybody's human right you know everyone is human and like everyone deserves an explanation a lot of the people in our team were doing it just just because they, they like us or just because they know that we're a good brand you know so let them know like hey guys and it was it was hot too so like you know hey guys we're on our way just a little update mm-hmm. and you know Anything. I feel like any, anything that involves changing locations in New York is risky. Anyway. Especially with traffic. And oh, my God, it was, just, it was a huge van because we got a van for everybody. And it was, it was crazy. And if you have a driver that just doesn't know what's and going it was, on it was and the way walking. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So but you brought up something important because as a leader, being able to communicate what's going on is important, but also doing so calmly. And showing a resilience and a peace about it, you know, people pick up on your energy. And I think when you, that's what you put out for the most part of people rock with you and they're supportive, that's what they're going to give back. Like, OK, you know, we're figuring it out. We'll make to make it happen. But especially for perfectionists, sometimes we spin out when it doesn't happen exactly how we anticipated or we planned for. And the minute there is something that goes wrong, which inevitably happens, sometimes it creates all this anxiety and then you just make it worse because you're freaking out and whatever you pay attention to whatever you focus on that is what multiplies I wholeheartedly believe that so having an ability in a moment of difficulty or crisis to say okay we didn't plan for this but we're going to roll with the punches and everybody just stick with us I think that helps to be able to salvage anything any plan that you have and it's a key skill if you want to thrive and not just survive as, as an entrepreneur and just sure. understanding um, the law of attraction mm-hmm. and just being optimistic to, um, to anything that you're facing absolutely so you talked about the you mentioned the law of attraction and being optimistic have you had a moment in the last couple of years where you're like I don't know if I can keep doing this or have you been able to maintain that optimism the entire time there's times where I face a 
lot of um, just struggles or things that I may question myself about. Mm-hmm. But I have too much to lose, and I've gone, I've gone, I've gone too far. And the, and I go back to like just me leaving, leaving a legacy here. Mm-hmm. I don't want my legacy to, to be known as oh he quit or you know my young my younger siblings like oh he didn't do it so why should I you know I want to make sure that the legacy that I leave actually enhances the culture and actually um, will be able to inspire kids that want to do anything that will have to push push it whenever they have a challenge in front of them absolutely and and i think as people of color we owe we owe our community that when you know it's cliche but too much is given much is required and there's there's going to come a day where when you can't push yourself just for personal gain it's um and for me it's not even just looking ahead is also looking behind me and whose shoulders that I'm standing on to say, you know, I owe it to the ancestors Um, because what they went through and what they sacrificed, you know, just two generations back for me to have these opportunities, you know, to throw in the towel because I didn't, you know, I've been featured on the Grammys yet or, you know, whatever it is for your, your chosen field. It is a, to me, it's a slap in the face. And, and we resilience is embedded in our DNA, you know, uh, diligence and perseverance. And if we draw from that and marry that with the optimism that you spoke to earlier, the opportunities will present themselves and the tide will inevitably turn. But I think sometimes where people get caught is in that it's not happening for me, it's not happening for me, or getting caught up in um, the, what are you doing with an office here? What is it that you do? You know, that and that look wow. of disdain that they give you, like you don't belong. And we all know about the hostility within the, f- the fashion industry. Um, it's a very insular community. So uh, maintaining confidence, you know, besides all of that, and being able to stand up and say, I'm doing it for the culture, I'm doing it for the people behind me and the people in front of me. Those are the things that keep you going when the checks aren't right. That's true. And everything's not, not going you know as it should another thing is also just um just having knowledge like just no one could take your brain away from you no mm-hmm. matter what situation you're in they cannot take your knowledge away right. from you no matter what situation you got to stay diligent mm-hmm. you know and just persevere to anything any battles that you actually face face up on like whatever's in front of you you can like push through with it and just they can't take up our knowledge away from us right and honestly that's half the battle in like mm-hmm. forging beyond the competition because so many people quit I mean we have we we follow the podcast space and their shows popping up every week mm-hmm. everybody's doing a podcast but we know what it takes to sustain this and a lot of people are going to flame out and there are a lot of people who won't but for us part of the the name of the game is consistency and just maintaining staying power and saying no matter what I'm, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to make sure that you know my brand is out in the public and people see it and they can rely on us to to bring a certain quality as well that's true. So I, I understand that you're an avid reader, yeah. really into books. So we like to offer up uh, resources to our, our listeners that may be able to help them. What are some books that you think people should read if they're interested in thriving in any industry? It doesn't have to necessarily be fashion that you draw an inspiration from or encouragement. Um, right off the back, always um, The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. Um, the Alchemist comes in a million, a million um, languages. Um, that's one of those things that I, I read like probably once every three years. Okay. And I'm writing a book right now also. And yeah. Oh, tell us what that's about. <laughs> uh, so the name of the book is called Excellence in Every Thread. 
Mm-hmm. Which is your yeah, tagline for the, the tagline brand? For mm-hmm. the brand for Garçon Couture, and what excellence in every thread is um, is a men's etiquette book. Nice. You know, a lot of times we don't understand um, um, how to, how a, a suit should fit or how to tie a tie, right? And then sometimes we don't even know to walk on the right side of, of the street when you're with um, the your significant other. Thank you. I didn't realize right. how many men did not know that until I started dating in New York. But continue. Uh, you know, just ordering the you know how to order wine, how to tip the correct way. Um, you know, what type of shoes you should wear with what um, when it comes to a black tie affair what your outfit should look like um, going to a wedding you know these do's and don'ts and this, these books that you will want to give your brother your husband your father your son at any stage of his life and then he could just open it up and be like hey, I have interview tomorrow what should I wear okay oh my god I'm in the store what essentials do I need in my closet for, for you know for the first year freshman year in college mm-hmm. so and I'm a big fan of which I, you probably agree of like quality over quantity mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily that you need all this stuff but if you have a few capsule quantity you know uh, quality pieces those essentials that you were talking about that any day is going to trump having a closet full of things that are cheap or are not going to hold up and these are things that are also going to elevate the culture because Mm -hmm. um, if a young black man walks into an interview and the first thing they're going to look at is what he's wearing absolutely right but also if he knows that he looks good he's going to go in there um you know, with head high, like, oh yeah, let's let's get to work, let's get it going. Absolutely, and that's gonna elevate that. That'll change. That'll adjust so much. For sure. So when is this book coming out? Because I know a few young men I want to buy it for. It, it, it'll <laughs> <laughs> it'll be releasing in the springtime. Awesome. Yeah, excellence in every thread. And this is also a big week for Garcon Couture. Yeah. Tell us about what you have going on right now. So we just finished. Um, we just uh, launched our, our line. We had a fashion show in Miami mm-hmm. um, this past weekend. But um, on the 16th, of, we're going to actually launch our shoe. But it is not Garcon Couture. It is it's a separate Mm-hmm. Um, line. It's called the Illy and Gilly collection. And what that is, we're actually going to be, our first collection would be the shoes. So we're providing, uh, we're releasing eight shoes at a time and they're actually blue bottoms. Blue bottoms. Yeah, and the reason okay. why they're blue bottoms is, um, you know, I'm from Honduras, um, this blue, the, the Honduran flag, this blue and the Haitian flag. And between that is the Caribbean Sea. And that's what separates, um, that's what brings the story together with me, me and my business partner, Gilly. Nice. Yeah, so with these shoes, you'll be able to, you know, we have four tuxedo shoes and two dress shoes. So look out for them. Those are going to be a timeless capsule. I'm, I'm liking this already. It's not like I can wear them, but maybe I'll gift Demarcus, our producer, a pair, my brother. Yeah, so those are the first collections because, so you know, we want to um, look forward to the future where we can actually um, make, um, you know, bags and cologne. Mm-hmm. That's part of the Illingilly collection, but the first capsule, all the shoes. I'm excited. And I'm excited for you, not because it just sounds amazing and the branding is tight, but also we like to look good as a people, but we put a lot of money in the pockets of people who don't necessarily look like us. So to see you um, building this brand and doing so with quality and a standard of excellence, um, it makes my heart smile. And um, I'm excited to see what's to come. Um, I'm excited to see the high end things that you guys do and becoming really a household name for sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you for actually like just having this platform and like letting other people in the world just hear, you know, stories. That's something um, that I commend you for. It's very inspirational and I'm excited to hear more stories. <laughs> Thank I'm you. A fan, I'm a fan myself. So when you told me, I'm like, oh yeah, I know there's so many people have done your podcast. Like I've been waiting for this call. <laughs> <laughs> we always tell yeah. people, if you're waiting, reach out to us, man. Say, hey, I want to come on. We, you know, we, we are always 
open uh, to to hear people out when they they have a pitch for us. And I mean, you the pitch guy. You you know how to sell yourself for sure. Clearly. Uh, so where can people find you if they want to make use of your tailoring services? Order a suit. Are the shoes available yet to be to be ordered as well? The shoes will be available next week, okay. 16th. So by the time this come out, mm-hmm. it'll be out. Um, but first, uh, I teach etiquette classes. So sometimes I will go to different schools and teach my etiquette class mm-hmm. to young boys or even like kids in college or, or young adults, right? So um, my personal is I. IJ Sanchez and the, on IG it's mm-hmm. IJAY Sanchez S A N C H E Z the company is Garcon Couture uh, and it's G A R C O N C O U T R E Garcon Couture that's we have the website as well garconcouture.com if you want to come get a suit a tuxedo if you want to come get a shirt custom made shirt just come make an appointment we can also have um, online appointments as well where you can actually Skype us or Google Hangout us even if you know if we have clients in LA and Virginia who can't really be in Miami or in New York we could just have the appointment with with them, you know, through FaceTime. Well, I'm hoping that people hear this and try to get their fashion swag together. <laughs> if not for them, for their significant other, for the women who are listening, it sounds like it will make a great gift as well. So do you do gift certificates and gift cards also? We're working on that. Okay, We're cool. Because, you know, us ladies, we like to uh, to give sometimes. I will be watching the Grammys uh, and reading the, yes. the fashion articles yes. Why don't you watch um, to to see if there are any shout outs and features because you do let's have see. some stuff that you sent. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. So prayers up for that. That. To our listeners, make sure you go check out Garcon Couture, the Illy and Gilly collection that's coming. For those of you who do run organizations, uh, work with students, and I know there are quite a few who listen to the show, think about bringing uh, Ilbert in to talk to your, to your young people because we need that as well as we're we're fighting for a seat at the table we want to make sure we're dressed right and we know how to act once we get there so (laughs) let's make that happen Um, as always remember to follow and like and share all that great stuff for the December 26th podcast and remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day take care Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.